This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Tour. Back again with you guys for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series, our rambling show, effectively, where we just have a chat. I'm often joined by some wonderful guests, and today is no different. I'm joined for the first time in quite. I mean, it's been it's been coming. I mean, I've had a lot of people in my comment section saying, "When on earth are you getting FK from Latte Firm on?" And the time <laughs> has come. So, welcome, FK. How are you doing? You good? Um, very well, thank you. Hang on a sec, Tom. You're good? Are you all fine? Or yeah, is the, the phone going off? The, no, no, the, the Chelsea tears. I love to take a sip. Oh, I um, see, nah, I see. Nah, mate, I'm good. Your I'm camera good. froze at the exact moment you were trying oh, to do Are you joking? No, yes, it did on mine. It may have done for the YouTube <laughs> listeners, but on my screen, I was like, what's he doing? I don't, is something going off? I don't know. No, nah, no. Nah, I was, oh, trying, no, I was trying to be funny, but I've totally blown it. But look, listen, thank you very much for having me on. I love what you do. Uh, and obviously, a lot of people won't know this, but you and I talk offline and you've been great for for advice and helping me out with my channel. So I it may, it's a pleasure to be on. Yeah, it's a great to have you on, mate. And uh, it's, as I say, it's frankly taken an embarrassingly long time for it to, to take place. And I'm sure obviously we'll, we'll do vice versa and stuff. And I'd, I'd be absolutely honoured to, to jump on the other way and, and have a chat about things. Because, I mean, you speak to a lot of my colleagues, like Kai Kainak, for instance, and he raves about you. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great to, to see where kind of Latte Firm's gone in, in such a short space of time. I mean, I do want to kick off talking about Chelsea, but I, I really do want to just discuss why you started it and what got you kind of sparked into thinking you know what i see all these people doing these channels you know i can do this as well do you know what? it was it was a little bit of that so basically my background prior as we were talking just just off air i did podcasting a long long time ago thanks to a burkamp wonderland great guys that were behind that that kind of faded out and we kind of went our separate ways as you do in life and when lockdown came about i just needed a release like i wasn't able to go to games and as you know i go home and away mm. um I wasn't getting my fix and I was just a bit bored. I've got two young kids, you know, you, you switch off from work and then you do gaga goo goo until bedtime. And then all of a sudden you're, you you're do, just watching all, the kids do. <laughs> all of us. <laughs> and then you kind of just find yourself dozing off on the sofa. And I thought, you know what? One thing that I really enjoy is talking about football and 
I had no experience of YouTube. I had no idea of, you know, like software and how to go about it or any idea about mics and headphones and all that sort of jazz. And I thought, let's take the plunge. So I decided to, to set up Latte Firm. And that's basically a lighthearted play on the fact that we used to have firms, but now the modern day sort of football fan is more about chinos and a, and a warm beverage on the day of a match. And yeah. it's actually inspired by some of my sort of close friends. You know, we, we, we're all dads now. and we, we drink coffees on match days. And that's just the way that it's kind of gone. So I yeah. wanted to offer something a little bit different. I know there's a lot of fan TV stuff out there and you're doing an amazing job and you do some of the stuff that I, I try to do. Um, and I wanted to just offer a different angle, mate. So I've been doing it, you know, seven, eight months since the first sort of video went live and it's it's just really good fun. So, um, yeah. so that's pretty much it. Yeah, I, I absolutely empathize with the feeling of kind of being a bit bored around like when you haven't got it. Like I, I wake up every day and, and obviously look to do the show and I'm thinking ahead to, to my honeymoon later this year and thinking, am I going to be able to get away with doing a stream whilst I'm in Mauritius? Just like, you know, on the beach streaming, doing a breakdown on, you know, Fabian Ruiz or something. Just breaking You'll find there. time, mate. You'll find time. And do you know what, yeah. to be honest with you, I mean, I've got, like I said, I've got two young kids and my wife's amazing because she's looking after them. She lets me do all this sort of stuff, but I need it. It's a release and I enjoy it. So keep having fun while you're doing it. Absolutely. Um, speaking of having fun, uh, Chelsea Football Club are melting away, which is quite nice for us to enjoy. Um, when the news kind of broke the a couple of weeks ago, I think when they faced Luton, that was when Abramovich announced that he was going to sell Chelsea. Uh, it was always, despite the comments and the statements being all around how it wasn't going to be a rushed process, it felt like this moment was coming. Um, and so maybe you just simply didn't rush it enough uh, because he's not been able to sell it in time before the UK government's decided to sanction and freeze his assets, which is effectively for those that are either just waking up in the in the Western world and obviously have just woken up to this news that Chelsea can't really do much. They can't sign players. They can't sell players. They can't renew contracts. They can't sell tickets. They can't even have away fans at the stadium at the moment. They, they can't open the merchandise shop because they're not allowed to sell things. Now, there is kind of special dispensation where they're allowed to carry on with the day-to-day -day running. They can, you know, fulfill fixtures. But it's suddenly when you start to think about the, the long-term parameters of this, if it is expend, extended beyond the May uh, 22 kind of situation, it could be hugely catastrophic for this side, surely. Make no mistake, Tom. It's a dark day for Chelsea Football Club. And... It reflects quite poorly on the Premier League for allowing this sort of takeover and sort of owner to come into the game first time round, what, 20, 22 years ago, whenever it mm. was. Um, it's a really challenging time for them. You know, you, you've you've articulated the, the issue. Um, he's obviously been sanctioned. His assets have all been frozen. There is a special license that allows him to maybe think about the sale of the club, but they are burdened with debt. They owe him money. He's invested lots and lots of money and obviously wanted a quick sort of getaway, but but hasn't been allowed that with the few days grace that you talked about at the start. They're in a bit of a situation. Um, I mean, as far as I'm aware, and you've probably been reading all day, there are a number of people that are interested in, in buying the club, but they don't want to pay anywhere near what he's asking. Mm. And for the government to now say that he can't profit from the sale of the club is absolutely the right thing to do. What What sort of gets me is that he must have had amazing lawyers incredible lawyers that have hidden so much of his past and so much yeah. of his activity because it's taken the nuclear the threat of nuclear war to to sort of you know bring him out in the open and, and all mm. his misdemeanors and you know the, the provision of steel for tanks and all that stuff that his businesses have done and all the money that he's been sort of you know transporting from country to country so 
he was always a very questionable owner for me as well tom if i may i think i feel when he first came into into the premier league he 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 really ruined football the way that it was you know clubs were were they weren't really so self-sustainable but they but they built their own clubs mm. um he came in he just blew everything out of the water pumping in money financial doping if you will buying the best players inflating wages what Arsene Wenger and, and Sir Alex Ferguson had at the time was just you know just blown away and and ever since then it's had a ripple effect on the market it's had a ripple effect on the game it's uh it's sort of started off this culture of of these rich owners coming into the premier league with questionable backgrounds and wealth and and just owning clubs like toys and you know for me i'm i'm glad to see the back of him uh, i'm glad that it's it's now in the open and of course i'm i'm very smug about it being chelsea because obviously we hate chelsea but <laughs> yeah. there are you know there are deeper ramifications my friend and you know uh, it's just a very, very dark day for the club. So what happens next is going to be really, really interesting. Yeah, and it's look, we don't really know the the ultimate end to this right now. And a lot of things can happen between now and May, and a lot of things can happen between now and tomorrow, to be honest. It's that kind of flexible, it's that on edge, and and there's that little information about what really can happen out there at the moment. And it is one we're gonna to have to really wait to see. But the, the what, what I've really struggled with today from kind of a social aspect is seeing so many Chelsea supporters kind of come out with the view of everyone showing their true colours about the death of a football club. I find that really odd to try and get behind, if you know what I mean. I, I see where you're coming from. Like you, You're hurting your clubs in the worst place it can be right now and you're, you're, you're afraid of its future. But if the... If this was Arsenal or if this was Spurs, the Chelsea fans would be reveling in this just as much as we are. So I find that really, I mean, just seeing in the chat box now, everybody chatting about this and Sam, thank you for the donation. Smash a like, Chelsea, you later. Like it's just these types of comments are brilliant. And yet there's kind of this moral high ground that some elements of the supportership are taking. And I find that really odd. Look, at the end of the day, Tom, whatever happens in football, there is always going to be that one-upmanship, that banter between fans. And make no mistake, it's a, it's a great, great day to be a non-Chelsea fan. I mean, everyone's digging into them. Uh, we've been mm. bitterly jealous, bitterly envious of their success. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I would admit that I've been very envious of everything that he's bought and everything that Chelsea have bought over the years. And it's not been nice to see because... We talked about Arsene Wenger and Alex Ferguson building their clubs. You know, Arsene Wenger was essentially robbed of, of you know, 2004 Wayne Bridge. Mm. Uh, that could have been our year. And of course, Chelsea have taken Premier League titles away from, from other clubs. So there is a bitterness and there is a, and I think rightly so, there is a, there is a smugness now about it all sort of falling apart. Um, I think Chelsea fans, if I'm brutally honest, I, I, I feel for them because Listen, you know, we have no control as fans as to who buys our club. This could quite easily have been Usmanov in charge of Arsenal. Um, it could have been maybe if Abramovich, you know, I think he wanted to buy Spurs first. If Chelsea hadn't happened, maybe he could have turned up at, at Highbury mm. and bought Arsenal. You know, they, they weren't to have known this. But the fact that Chelsea got the success that the way they did, they've been doing it for about 20 years. Their fans have just gone from here to here in terms of smugness and and you know, uh, almost nastiness that it's, it's a really pleasing day. It's a very satisfying day to see them, you know, crying and, 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 and their sort of tears, but it's just the way football works, Tom. I mean, what can I say? It's, it's, if you're a Chelsea fan, it's horrendous. It's your worst nightmare. It's, it's panic time, you know, and if you're a non Chelsea fan, then it's just a glorious day.
Yeah, it is a glorious day. Um, saying that, what I will say is obviously I, there is an element of empathy for especially kind of the employees of like, you know, the, the shop and and people that are un- very much unintentionally affected by this uh, who will uh, really have to, uh, there'll be a struggle, especially during this time where if, if you're aware and, and live in the UK, you'll know that kind of the price of living is going up significantly at the moment for everybody. So, you know, there is that element to be, but from a purely footballistic um firm standpoint um yeah. we we you know it's great seeing chelsea fall apart and i don't think we can really move past that sam thank you again for the notion saying so mad they can't sell i was going to bid one pound and use the ground as a driving range <laughs> but yeah tom you make a really good point like the banter that we've just talked about and the banter that's been de- demonstrated on social media you know this isn't aimed at the lady who runs the canteen or the, the chap no. who runs the shop or the ground staff or the stewards who depend on 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 Chelsea Football Club for their livelihood. Of course it's not, you know, we're not that daft, but it's it's just having a giggle at the way that a club has sort of bought itself to the top table of European football and now has had the chair sort of swept away from from under its feet and and is just sort of on the floor and we're all sort of giggling and laughing like schoolboys. And mm. and that's pretty much what it is. And and actually just on the wage part, I think the special license allows them to continue paying the wages of all employees including players and coaching staff but of course all the non the non-playing staff as well so hopefully they'll be looked after yeah some interesting breaking news as well and thank you for those in the chat box highlighting it to my attention um telecommunications company three has asked chelsea to remove their branding from their shirts immediately having now suspended their sponsorship deal with the club wow. there's a kit man in norwich now heading down to the sports director by 20 plain blue football tops <laughs> oh dearie me yes i mean because obviously they played norwich tonight and that moves us nicely kind of onto that next point which is how do you think this will affect them this season? Because, you know, we're in a race for top four Arsenal and what I thought was a top four race, and I did mention to you in, in very optimistic circumstances of, you know, we've got a game in hand over Chelsea, you win that and you beat them in the game that we've got and all of a sudden you're ahead of them uh, in a season where we were never thrown into kind of the same bracket as Chelsea at the beginning. They were title challengers, we were just trying to get back into Europe and suddenly there's only a couple of points between us. And this kind of news will have massive impacts on the mentality of the players, especially those that didn't know whether or not they were going to be leaving at the end of the season, didn't know whether they were going to be renewing their contracts. Players like Rudiger and Azpilicueta are going to be leaving for free at the end of the season. Surely it's going to have a massive impact on the way in which they approach the rest of the season. Huge, yeah. I mean, I've seen lots of comments about, look, these are professional footballers, they get paid loads of money, they should be immune to any of this stuff, but this is going to shake people, you know, whether, whether, whether they accept it or not, it doesn't matter if you're Romelu Lukaku on a massive contract, doesn't matter if you're Tommy Tuckle and you've been managing football clubs for, for a long time and earning millions of pounds, you know, this is going to really sort of stop them in their, in their steps. And there is going to be doubt over their future, their um, income, their playing careers every day now until this is solved. And if that gets into their minds, then obviously it's going to affect the way that they play. It's going to affect the way that they prepare because there's been lots of jokes about, you know, traveling, you know, basic airline companies rather than their luxury private jets because of the cap. Um, This is going to affect everything about the way that Chelsea go about their business. Now, of course, they might turn around and, and be professional and still manage to put on performances and finish the season strong. That's fine. But you know, you would have to, you'd have to lean towards them, you know, being sort of thrown off sale and going off course. And I think, I think this is going to cause shockwaves in the club. So we have to be ready to pounce. You said we're a couple of points away if we win our game in hand, we have to play them. Um, I mean, it's up for grabs, isn't it? 
Mm. Yeah, it absolutely has to be. And it can't be a situation that Arsenal just laugh at and just kind of enjoy. We need to grab this opportunity with both hands. And look, Chelsea have shown in their game against Burnley just the other day that despite obviously the uncertainty, they're still a very, very good side. They've got a lot of good quality players. But I think the Luton game, which was the day that it was announced that Roman would be selling, you know, there was a little bit of a, a little bit of a blip. And, you know, they conceded goals to a League One side and it was a little bit on edge for quite a long period of time. There's uncertainty about players like Romelu Lukaku and his form and, and Timo Werner as well. And whilst you've got those questions on top of this huge news, it suddenly can get quite malignant, I suppose, in, in the entire site. So I look ahead to when we play them and the possible impact of not only having a, a three-quarters full Stamford Bridge, but also there being no Arsenal fans possibly there. That's a really kind of interesting scenario where you're thinking is that more beneficial for Chelsea to have no Arsenal away fans there or is it less beneficial because there's not going to be as many Chelsea fans there that's a weird scenario to try and tackle too isn't it yeah you're absolutely right I mean lockdown showed us that football was played behind closed doors and you know I suppose you could say Arsenal have got experience of not playing with Arsenal fans in the stadium but of course this is just going to be one-sided that said what are they 41 42,000 capacity stadium 26 27,000 season ticket holders who that's all that's going to be allowed and you never know Tom I mean as we move I mean day by day this could change you know the license might bring out separate rules or an exemption to say you know away clubs can take fans, but Chelsea can't profit from any sort of ticket sales. And there might be ways that Chelsea give free tickets away to the community to to, to, to fill the stadium, etc. So mm. who knows? But it will be a very, very surreal sort of experience and time. And just one last point on how they might react. I mean, we know that adversity can sometimes bring a team together. So that's my biggest fear, that this group of very talented players, I think they're the strongest squad in the Premier League. Mm. They might, you know, if, Tom, if, if Thomas Tuchel is, is smart and clever, he can use it to rally the troops and and they might be even stronger, more united, you know, sort of the world against us type thing. But yeah. let's hope not. Let's hope they just completely crash and burn. Just final question then on kind of the footballing side of it. Where do you kind of place our, our chances of top four with this in mind? And do you think it does become a top three race rather than a top four race? I'm a romantic, Tom. I'm an optimist. <laughs> I want to, you know, I, I, to me, I'm, you know, until it's mathematically possible, you know, don't rule anything out. But look, Given where we are in the league table now and given the sort of games in hand FC, uh, and let's look at our opponents, Manchester United, talented players, but they're a shambles. West Ham, good squad, sorry, good team, good manager, haven't really got a proven track record at sustaining such a challenge. Tottenham, elite coach, one or two absolute wonderful footballers, can't deny that, but Spurs yeah. are Spurs and they've got it in them. So we've got an incredible chance. We're on a superb run, I think we're the most informed team across Europe in terms of points and, and runs over the last, uh, results, sorry, over the last 10 games. And Mikel Arteta's, you know, he's 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 got the bit between his teeth. The players look hungry. I mean, this is as good a chance for us to get fourth, if not third. Um, and, and I think we're going to finish strong this season. So Let's just take it the old, you know, the oldest saying in the game, mate. Let's just take it one game at a time. Don't get carried away. Focus on ourselves. It's in our hands. How do you feel? Uh, can I can I put the question? Yeah, to absolutely. You? I I think that from my perspective, and, and the chat box will concur because they listen to me droning on every single day about this. But as I'm do always, I, by the way. As yeah, do of I. course. I'm always the optimistic about this. I'm always the one that wants us to push forwards and and hope that we can get to that next level. And I never expected Arsenal to be in a top four race. To be honest, this season at all. My expectation at the start of the year was 
was very much get back into Europe. That's that, that was kind of the next step for me. We've had two seasons of real mediocrity, finishing eighth place. Yes, getting an FA Cup. Yes, getting to a Europa League semi-final. But it's it's not enough for where the club needs to be along its path of how much spending's happening. If we want to justify Mikel Arteta remaining as manager, more needed to happen for that to be the case. And I think that we've started to see that this season is, you know, changes and overhaul of the squad, a really good change of the way in which we approach the market and the way in which we recruit players and what type of players we go for as well. And then you look at kind of the individual decisions of Arteta changing across his tenure. In-game management was always an area kind of where I thought was a bit weak for him. But this season, things have started to change, especially defensively. You look at the way he approached Anfield. You look at the way in which he approached the Wolves game when we went down to 10 men. Certain in-game management decisions helped us to keep the points or keep a result in the case of the League Cup semi-final. Unfortunately, didn't go our way in the home leg. But, you know, we gave ourselves a really good chance of going through in that game at Anfield. So that's changed. I think that with the way in which Man United have got their struggles and just the fact that they've got a team of individuals and not a team of you know, a team is this the word and then Spurs have got probably the best manager outside the top 2 uh, in in the league this season but just with that, un, unless Kane and Son are firing they have a very mediocre side and I'm not sure whether or not Conte can get the best out of that team across the rest of a whole season. He can get it in some games like we saw against Everton, although it was a very bad Everton team, or he can get you know a very good result against Man City when they're playing the perfect style to counter Manchester City. But we've got a real chance. And I wouldn't describe it as a failure if we missed out on top four, but I would describe it as a, as a big disappointment and a massive missed opportunity. But yeah, that's about what I, I mean, just quickly, would you describe it as a failure or as a, as a disappointment if we didn't get it? I think it'd be a disappointment given where we are. Um, failure is perhaps too strong a word. Yeah. Just because, look, objectives have to change, right? Football's, football's an evolving game. You can't just be rigid with your thoughts at the start of the season. You have to adapt to what's happening in front of you. So 25, 26, 27, 28 games in, we're in a position now, we're in the driver's seat. We are in the best position. We've got a nice group of fixtures coming up. There are two or three tough games, but we've really got the bit between our teeth. So if we let it go from here, it's massively disappointing. It's probably not quite a failure, only because, Tom, Arteta and Arsenal is bigger than what's happening on, on the pitch. You know, We've had a lot of stuff that we've needed to sort off the pitch. We've had a lot of stuff to do in terms of rebuilding this squad, the profile of player we've got, the youngsters coming through. You know, there's been a lot of damage done to the club, you know, mm. since sort of Arsene Wenger's last year. So this is, you have to think big picture. It can't just be like, right, we didn't get top four this year, so it's a failure. You know, Mikel's got to go. You've got to think, right, you know, give this guy really three to five years. Everything that I've seen from him this season is really encouraging. You talked about that tact tactical sort of versatility. He's adapted the structure. Um, the young players coming through look more established. He's nurturing our youngsters and taking them to another level. Everything that I see is fabulous, you know, and, and we are on this upward trajectory. So we just have to see it out. But of course, if we get third or fourth, um, you know, it's a game changer for us. I mean, the, the revenue that's going to come in, the signings that we might make in the summer, I know you want to talk about signings, but the type of, you know, the caliber of player that we can go for in the market, mm. you know, we're all of a sudden we're looking upwards and not downwards. Yeah, the perfect segue into, into the next topic. Of course, I couldn't couldn't have the two kings of breakdowns on YouTube uh, on one show without talking about transfers. And, you know, um, I also want to give an opportunity for, for questions in the chat. And we're going to do that uh, about half past so in about eight minutes time for the last 10 minutes. But on signings, um, 
as both of us kind of look really in detail and, and kind of obsess over statistics and heat maps and all of these types of things, which give you a kind of a picture, but they don't give you the whole story. And I always say to people, look, stats are worthless without guidance and without context. If you have stats to throw out anything can give you an argument, but if you don't apply context, then they mean nothing. So in a very simple question, who would you like to see Arsenal go for uh, in the summer transfer window that you feel would be a realistic ambition? And I'll give you the caveat of, say, we achieve top four this summer. So before I give you names, you're absolutely right. Um, You know, I do these breakdowns and the reason why I do them is because I obviously like to look at stats. I haven't got a clue about European football, right? When I was in my 20s, I used to know every player, everything on Football Manager, all the stats. Now I'm an old man with two young kids and a a demanding day job and a demanding missus. So it's not easy (laughs) to keep up, right? So I do it because I like to obviously learn about the player. But a lot about buying players these days is also about mentality. You know, how do you measure the intangibles? How do you know, how can you read someone's appetite, someone's motivation, someone's drive, what they like off the pitch, what's their character like? These things that, you know, managers have always obviously, obviously sort of, you know, used as decisions to make, uh, to, to sort of buy players. So if we exclude all of that, and for, purely from an aesthetic perspective and purely from what I think we need, position-wise, I'd love to see us get a backup right back I'd love to go go out and get a, a a real enforcer in midfield, a central midfielder who is going to be of an elite level that can come in and make a difference straight away. I'm not looking at a project. I'm not looking at a Laconga. You know, great that he's in the squad. Part company with the likes of Elneny, and yeah. you know, as much as I love Xhaka, if if Xhaka's on his on his way out, then you know we've got we've got the space there to go out and get, you know, a top top class central midfielder. Now for me. I know there's a lot of complications around this. And of course, subject to him being cleared, Eve Basuma is, is one that I really love. I think he's a fabulous footballer, dynamic, uh, strong. He's got a lot, you know, technically very, very gifted, so disciplined position-wise, and he's just doing a brilliant job at Brighton. And I'd love to see him at the base of that three or mm. maybe even alongside Thomas Party. So someone of that sort of ilk. Um, and he's actually quite good going forward as well. So, you know, I don't, don't think he gets the credit for that. Um Obviously, a centre forward, a talisman. You know, I, I want someone like a Robin Van Persie. I mean, imagine how good Van Persie would be in this squad mm-hmm. right now, you know. But they're difficult to find. And I think going on your um, on your little rule there, if we get the Champions League, you know, don't forget, we are Arsenal Football Club. We're in London. You know, we've got the history. We've got the tradition. We've got a huge pull. A lot of these players will have grown up watching the Arsene Wenger Arsenal. You know, a lot of these players will have had a fondness with Arsenal. And, you know, there might be pictures of them with Arsenal shirts when they were kids. So we've got a huge pull. And, and, and all the work that Edu and Arteta have been doing at clearing out some of the squad, we've got big, big transfer fund and big, big wages. To, sorry, not transfer fund. We've got huge sort of wage budget that we can that yeah. we can use. So the dream for me is Erling Haaland because uh, I think he's <laughs> absolutely incredible. And we've got Erdegaard and people will laugh. But listen, listen, I, I, I lived through a time when I woke up one morning and I read on teletext, yeah, for the older viewers. Uh, I don't even know if you know that, Tom. But yeah, I read, of course. <laughs> of course I do, yeah. I read on teletext and see facts that, Arsenal announced the signing of Sol Campbell. Turned on the TV, Arsene Wenger's bowling out at London Colney with Sol Campbell alongside him. No one would have guessed it. All the big European giants were in for him. He was a Tottenham player. He'd just gone an interview saying he's, you know, he's not going to leave the club. And all of a sudden, we pulled it out of the bag. I'm not saying we're going to get Haaland, but we should aim high and you never know. This club might surprise us. And the final position, mate, um, 
I think we're doing really well with sort of uh, central, uh, sort of attacking midfielders and wide players. I'd mm-hmm. like to see us go and get a, a, a naturally sort of gifted, rapid pace wide player. So, you know, Theo Walcott type. I'm not talking in terms of no, ability. I'm just talking that sort of yeah. outlet, you know, that rapid pace, mm. getting a team on the break. I think we were linked with Kuliszewski in January on a loan deal. That obviously didn't work out. If Nico Pepe and we part company with him, um, then the, there's a gap. And there's been a lot of talk about Serge Gnabry not renewing his contract at Bayern. Yeah. That's the sort of profile. I know he's going to cost a lot of money, but he's an outlet. Worth he's it. proven he is electric. That's the sort of player that I'd like. So hopefully that's given you a flavor of the type of player that I want. Yeah, no, I I agree with you on Holland, and I've said this before. It's a case of, look, he's got a buyout clause in the summer. He's going to move. What is wrong with Arsenal buying a ticket to the raffle? There's nothing wrong with Arsenal activating that release clause and, you know, saying, look, we want to be an option. You know, we've got your, your best mate, your captain of your country's yeah. here. Have a sneaky word in his ear. Yeah, <laughs> Convince him of the project. And, you know, I think as well, you can sell that project to Erling Holland as well and, and look at it as kind of you would, you could become an absolute icon at, the, at this club for the future of kind of leading Arsenal back to the pedestal that it deserves to be on. If it isn't him, I'd like someone like Patrick Schick at Bayer Leverkusen. I think he shares a lot of kind of the similar traits as Holland, but doesn't necessarily have the the furore about him and the aura of, of Holland. But I think you know, as the second highest goal scorer behind Lewandowski in the Bundesliga this season, you know, he's he's and he's proven not just to be a European Championships wonder and, and has gone into this season and continued that fine form. So he's definitely. That, one. There's also Osiman in in mm. playing in Italy at Napoli. I mean, he would be another electric player. But look, you know, what I'm most encouraged about, Tom, is that the noises that are coming out of the club are the right noises. You know, they've talked about the position. Arteta's talked about bringing in the player that's going to take us to the next level. And of course, we were on a very public pursuit of Dusan Vlaovic in January. Mm -hmm. That to me indicates that we're ready to go with money. We're not afraid to go after the biggest players. We're not afraid to go after, you know, a proven sort of talisman. Um, And if we're waving, you know, 60, 70 million pounds at him, mate, I'm excited. I'm really yeah. excited about the summer, but we have Absolutely. to get top four. Uh, I mean, the the, the kind of the, the I was going to say whispers. They're not really whispers. The shouts that come out from kind of the colleagues I've got at Football London and, and Chris Wheatley in particular, writing his piece uh, a few weeks ago about how the intention is to have a significant outlay in the summer, backed by the owner. I mean, when I say backed by the owner, I think it's very much kind of. Josh Cronky going to his dad and saying, please, daddy, give us some money. Okay, son, sort of situation. Um, and it's very much, it's, it's Josh's thing. Arsenal is Josh's thing. It stands very much on, you know, the Rams and everything else. And like the Nuggets, Josh has got this project that he's working on. And, you know, I'm fine for it to be that if we're moving in the right direction. It's That's the way that football is. Like they are businesses in, in, in the 2020s now. And we are looking at Arsenal, hopefully moving into a place where they can compete with the absolute best. But that, Despite for all of the improvement of players and the investment in youth, you do you do still need to spend money and big money at that if you do want to compete with your Liverpools and cities of this world. And Liverpool is self-sustaining, as we know, but they spent big on players like Alisson and Van Dijk, and we're going to have to do the same in crucial areas too. Um, for the last 10 minutes, as I said, and I promised, we're going to go through some of your questions. We'll try and get through as many of them as we can. Um, Matt G says, do you think there's a chance Chelsea might be made ineligible for next year's Champions League. So obviously without any kind of inside expertise, any any chance or any theories on that? Well, look, if they go into administration, they're going to face a points docking, so they won't be in the Champions League anyway, you'd think, because that would be too much of a drop. But 
this is going to change day by day by day. I mean, if, if it rumbles on and Abramovich is still technically the owner, I know they've been sort of seized by the government. Maybe, maybe UEFA sort of take a look at it and think, right, you know, this is, this is one, one thing too strong for us. I, I doubt it. I think, I think they'll, and, and actually the whole thing, I think Chelsea will manage to, to mm. come out of this and they'll get a brand new shiny owner and they'll still be very, very rich. So it's unlikely uh, is my, is my opinion, but who knows, Tom, you know, like I said, things change on a daily basis. This is a great question from Byron. What's your happiest memory as an Arsenal fan to both of you guys? So it's not like the best, it's the happiest you've ever been as an Arsenal fan. You go first, Tom. <laughs> I gotta think about this. Damn it. Yeah, look, I I obviously I I did grow up my childhood years was during the Invincibles period, and I remember that being very happy, but I don't think I was old enough and had like the brain development to really understand what happiness is. And you know, when I was at university when Arsenal won the FA Cup against Hull, um, and we ended that nine-year drought, and that kind of relief in that moment, and I was in a Weatherspoons where I was the only Arsenal fan amongst a load of Midlanders, and uh, that moment of pure joy of, of getting a trophy and obviously the first trophy of my my adulthood as an Arsenal fan too that's probably one of the happiest moments but the other one would be um after a nothing game against Watford where I've gone back to the pub and had a great time with a lot of people I know and they're kind of the happiest moments for me is when you're around people that you know that you love going to games with and you love speaking to like those fandom moments which is obviously one of the reasons why we do these types of shows have you had your thinking time have you got one yeah, I have I mean if I'm talking about honors obviously the first one's always always good I mean when we won the league under Arsene Wenger in 97 98 that was incredible um my 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 favorite moment in isolation um there's, there's, there's three that spring to mind. So there was obviously Arsh having that night when we beat Barcelona. Mm. I think that was I probably the video from that. That was probably my, my most favorite night, the Emirates, um, the day Welbeck scored in the last minute against Leicester. Cause I thought we were going to do it. And I, I was in the stands. I was in tears, man. I could, I just couldn't control it. Yeah. And then my, and then probably the happiest that I've been in a long time was the cup final against Hull. Now I know we've won bigger trophies and we've gone unbeaten and all that sort of jazz, but that marked the end of a long barren spell and Arsene Wenger was trying to build us up to the top and, you know, we were 2-0 down after 20 minutes or whatever it was and extra time winner from from Aaron Ramsey. Just yeah. the celebrations, I, I I broke the seat at Wembley Stadium and took it with me and I have it at home as a as a, really? as a souvenir. Yeah, wow. um, I've got that Wembley tell seat. That. <laughs> I know, well, I know I've, I've done it now. I mean, obviously, do? I, yeah. I hid it under my hoodie and I walked nonchalantly outside out the stadium and... <laughs> I went to the Green Man pub and everyone was like loving it. Yeah, I, honestly, <laughs> yeah, it's a massive hoodie. Um, but yeah, I've got my Wembley seat from from that day and that'll always be with me forever. But I mean, as a moment and as a day, I, I was so happy. Mm. I was so happy that day, as were so many Arsenal fans. So that that's probably my moment. Yeah, look, it was a moment of, of real relief, um, I think, because... Uh, we had not an easy route to the final by any means. And obviously, we beat Spurs and we beat Liverpool on that route as well. And then we had um, Wigan, uh, Reading, sorry, uh, in the semi-final. I say yeah. Wigan because there's always so many parallels between those two clubs <laughs> for some reason. Um, and, and then Hull and two teams that you you know were absolute out, out not fate, not um, anything other than favourites. And yet we still made it so hard. Hey, listen, we, we, played, we played Liverpool in the run, if you remember. We yeah. played Liverpool at home and we, we put them away nicely. Oxley uh, but yeah, you're right. Podolski scored. Yeah, Oxley Chamberlain, Podolski, yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, the, the semi final was tense because there was a moment, if you remember, when I think it was Fabianski came running out of his mm. goal and they could have scored. I mean, it was, honestly, I like, get shivers thinking about it. And then, of course, Hull, everyone's thinking, right, you know, this is it. Arsenal going to, this, mm. this is a banker. 
and they've scored one, they've scored two. We're all looking at each other in the in the stands thinking, you know, crumbs, we've come this far. Mm. Crumbs is a polite word, but we've come this far. Crumbs. Everyone yeah. look around. Oh, crumbs. crumbs. Yeah, fiddlesticks. <laughs> um, but no, like, um, I mean, there was panic and there was, and everyone turned on each other, Wenger out, this and the other, you know. And then when Santi scored the free kick and Koscielny bundled in that, the equaliser yeah. right in front of us and then Ramsey, extra time. As soon as, I mean, that was it. As soon as that ball hit the net, there were euphoria, my friend. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was a mixed run. And, and at the end of the day, it's a cup, cup competition and, and that's just the way that the draw goes. Yeah, yeah, it was a great, great day. Um, Vladimir asks, is it true that Mavropanos' permanent move, three million pound clause to Stuttgart, is dependent on them surviving relegation? If so, is there a chance that we're able to sell him for more? Um, so as my understanding is that Stuttgart have already made Arsenal aware that they are going to activate the clause even if they get relegated and they'll sell him on. Um, Dortmund are interested, West Ham are interested, uh, they will sell him on. So sorry, Vladimir. But what I will turn this question into is that do you think this summer is a big opportunity for Edu to change the perception of how he is as a seller of Arsenal's players, not only just from a buying perspective? Do you know, Tom, I think Edu's got... (sighs) a bit of bad luck because he's tried to sell players at the time of a pandemic. Mm. You know, he's no Michael Edwards and we, we didn't have the Premier League champion premium. You know, Liverpool have been able to sell players like Rian Brewster because they were Champions League winners. They were Premier League winners and they could dictate that. And we, we're trying to sell players who are unhappy at the club, who have been labelled Deadwood. All the clubs know that, who are running down their contracts and we just couldn't get the funds i mean market forces dictate ultimately mm. but i think i think you're right though i mean not to really answer the question but edu has got an opportunity this summer to make some decisions and we should be going out to the market because clubs now have more money than they had a year two years ago and yeah we should be commanding fees for for for, for people that leave but look abamyang left we paid him to join barcelona you know we sort of paid him off um mm. That's just the nature of of, of the market. Um, so I feel he's he's a bit of bad luck, but yeah, he's still obviously got a lot to prove. Yeah, I, I think that you raised the points that I, I frustratingly say and I get responses like, oh, well, he's had loads of chances to sell. And I'm like, well, they're just excuses is a word that people bring up all the time. But you're absolutely right. Like the, the new regime has had to take over the burden of the mistakes of the previous regimes. And we've bought players for such silly amounts of money and then had to sell them in a pandemic where no one's going to want to buy them or pay that amount of wages. And, you know, we were lucky that Marseille came in for class match in January, if we're honest. Like, we're lucky that anyone would take him off our hands. And we've had to get lucky in those circumstances. It's not been perfect. The Mavropanos situation, in my opinion, is a joke. He's worth far more than the three million that we're going to get for him. You know, the Gendouz is a really fine balance of how do you balance a player that's, you know... The, the the professionality of the player, the professionalism of the player and kind of the mentality isn't right for Arteta, but how do you not, how do you move a player on for 9 million when he was ranked at 50 million or quid just a year ago and, and kind of that massive drop in value and how do you balance that with also making sure you keep a player and keep the players that are right for the squad? It's hard, but I still do look at this summer and I look at the amount of players that are going to probably be moving on. You look at players like Leno, you look at players like Maitland-Niles, Reese nelson coming back from Feyenoord. These are opportunities for Arsenal to sell for a decent fee and not being embarrassed. And, you know, the pandemic has moved on to an extent where a lot of clubs have recovered now and are in a position where they can spend money like we can. So 
I think there is a little bit of pressure. Uh, yeah, and ju- just just to finish on that, I mean, look, uh, obviously we can learn lessons. There have been transfers in the past. With hindsight, you can say, yeah, we could have got a bit more money for that. But mm. you have to also bear in mind, Arsenal, one of the most covered clubs. There's a lot of talk on social media. Don't believe everything you read. You know, the whole £20 million for Maitland-Niles. There was never £20 million on the table for Maitland-Niles. You know, there were reports of bids or interest from Wolves mm. at that sort of price. But... Um, you know, let's let's just see what happens this summer. Uh, as far as things are going with the clear out and the rebuild, I'm content. So that's that's all I've got to say. We finished the show uh, by going full circle. Um, uh, friend Tishek uh, in the chat book saying, are you surprised that Chelsea fans are still defending Abramovich? I mean, he literally owned a factory that made steel for Putin's tanks. Sanctions are the right decision, in my opinion. By the way, hashtag Harlan 2022. <laughs> I like that hashtag, Fran Um Am I surprised? No, I'm not, because we know, Tom, when it comes to football, you don't really think rationally. Um, and I think a lot of Chelsea fans, they've, they've fallen in love with someone like Roman Abramovich over the years yeah. because he's been so good for them as a club. I mean, come on, like if we're brutally honest about it, anyone coming into our club, pumping in over a billion pounds, winning us the Champions League and every trophy there is to win in the game, you're not going to dislike that person. And over time, you 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 grow a, you know an appreciation for that guy. You you become fond of him. You like him. You yeah. I wouldn't say you sort of, you know, you you eulogize about him, but you know, you you he's he's a he's a integral part of the part of the machine. And I understand why Chelsea fans like him so much and appreciate him so much. I mean, look, most Chelsea fans, if 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 they were really switched on, they'd see what's happening in the news and and they'd you'd yeah. feel torn. It's it's like let me give you a basic example. It's like someone in your family breaking the law. You're still going to love them. You still have feelings for them. You're still fond of them. It's it's a it's a horrible thing. But I think most Chelsea fans deep down will know that look, it, this is this was always going to happen. It's a sad way for them to sort of end. Um, but I can understand why they're so fond of him. And you know, they, he's been there for twenty odd years, and he's given them some of their most memorable memories of, of their Chelsea supporting lives. And mm. you know, I, I understand that. Yeah, I agree with you completely. It isn't surprising um, at all. And I think, you know, Arsenal can count themselves a little bit lucky that we weren't in the same scenario because had Alicia Usmanov bought Arsenal, we would very much be in the same situation. And Everton, of course, arguably are in a worse situation than Chelsea. And if, you know, they have a similar situation with their club, um, it won't be as impactful because of kind of the ownership scenario there. But it's it's still a, an awful time for them, uh, and, it, and Arsenal could end up being the only club in the Premier League never to be relegated in the by the end of this season. We'll have to wait and see. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Um, FK, thank you so much, mate, for taking time out of the afternoon to come and have a thank chat. I've loved it. Pleasure. I've loved it, mate. And and hopefully, if your uh, if your viewers aren't too offended by anything that I've said, I'd love to be on again. I'm just, there's me just inviting myself on. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. It's, it's great when people want to come back on the show. I'm sure uh, you will be, mate. I've left a link to Latte Firm in the description. So, if and you're you coming on as well before, before you go. Yes, yeah, you're I'm on. sure. Good, good absolutely, back. absolutely. Um, if you haven't already checked out FK stuff and you enjoy, I mean, if you do enjoy tactical breakdowns of players, you you must do because you're watching this channel. So obviously you love breaking down players so do go over and check out fk's channel and, and further breakdowns of of more of arsenal's transfer targets that we're coming up in the summer transfer window plenty to be discussing and you might see this ugly mug here as well uh, over there at some point so 
Uh, I look forward to that. But yeah, thank you, FK. Give yourself a shout out and tell people where they can find you on the socials as well. So on on Twitter, I'm F Carnage because uh, my surname's Khan and I was Carnage at school. That's how that name came about. And and Latte Firm. So at Latte Firm and of course on on YouTube as well. So thanks for having me. I've I've really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Uh, do make sure you drop a like on the video, guys, if you've enjoyed the chat with myself and FK, and uh, do subscribe to the Guna Talk and Delate Firm with the link in the description. I'll see you tomorrow morning for the usual 8 a.m. updates. And other than that, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you guys, as it always is. And as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around, and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go, and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.